0: Welcome to the Y Invest Podcast with me, Doug Barnett, Portfolio Manager at Waverton. My guest this week is Oliver Sherville. Oliver is the founder of Tentbox, an enviable and innovative business that essentially allows you to turn your car, regardless of its size, into a mini camper van. It's a product that you really have to see to believe, so do check out their website at tentbox.com for photos. They've also developed an interesting community around the product with ambassadors up and down the country. Oliver was great. We discuss his grand plans for expansion after he secures financing. But without further ado, this is the Why Invest podcast. Oliver Sherville, welcome to the podcast. Oliver, how did you start your career? Um, yeah, career is an
1: interesting word. I have never really had a, a proper job, as it were. I suppose I did all the kind of stuff at school that you hear a lot of people say, selling sweets and, and that kind of thing. I was always keen to sort of go down that sort of entrepreneurial route the first kind of big thing i did was a publishing company whilst i was at uni it was kind of what i call a one-hit wonder sort of business essentially started selling the the national curriculum for schools the government changed it and weren't printing it and i, I basically made it into a book and, and marketed it to all the schools and got them to buy it so that was quite a nice one to do at uni it sort of made me enough money to quit to be perfectly honest i wasn't enjoying my time there and then from then on i've just sort of started a few other ventures uh one of them being Tent box, and that's sort of the
0: main thing taking up my time now. Well, let's introduce Tent Box. Um, what problem are you trying to solve or were you trying to solve when you started Tent Box?
1: Yeah, so Tent Box is a roof tent. So, what that is, is, is a box that will go on top of your car. We've got various models, and they pop up into a tent on top of your car. I think it's important to sort of mention that it's not just a pop up tent on your car. The best way to look at it is an affordable way to turn your, your car, any car, into a camper van. The problem we're trying to solve really is, is letting people get out there and explore as if they're in a camper van, but without having needing to have the big budgets of buying a camper van. You know, like I, can, I say, that this can fit on a, a 15-year-old Vauxhall Corsa if you want to. You just need a, a pair of roof bars.
0: And that's a, well, that's ideal for me even because I drive a crappy car. But what's the difference in, in sleeping in, in a tent box and a, and a normal tent?
1: So one of the main things is you're off the ground secondly there's a mattress installed inside you can leave your bedding inside when you close it and it pops up on gas struts so it takes about 30 seconds to erect it pull the ladder out climb on top of your car and you're in ready to sleep so it gives you that freedom to sort of come and go move around do a proper road trip and not have to worry about finding a piece of grass setting it up taking a long time setting a tent up then dealing with a wet tent and, and yeah it's really just that convenience you know as if you're in a, in a camper van and you can put it on
0: your car and go how did you come up with the idea in the first place? What was the sort of inception?
1: Roof tents actually, funnily enough, have been around for at least 70 years. I saw an advert the other day for one, a video advert from like the 40s, I think it was, advertising some kind of roof tent concept. That was a lot of faff compared to what, what we're doing now. What actually happened is me and my brother were looking you know, for a camper van and you know, realised at the time we didn't really have the budget and stumbled across roof tents. They're really big in the 4 by 4 scene and always have been. We put one on our normal car, went to France. Every campsite we went to, we had crowds and crowds of people asking us what it was. And and that's kind of where I realized, wow, there's a a huge market for this concept, but it just hasn't been targeted to the right crowd. It's it's the big four by four Land Rover crowd that knows about it, not the kind of every man, every woman car. And people don't really understand that you can use these things on uh, any vehicle. And so that's sort of been our challenge
0: and our mission is to bring that concept to the masses. As I understand it, it's a well sort of worn concept in the four x four space. Um, how do you protect your business and and you know some of the sort of intricacies of opening up and closing the tent? Um, do you have any sort of IP protection?
1: Um, so that's an interesting point. I mean, there is other models out there again in the four x four scene that do very similar things. They've been out for so long that there isn't protection on that sort of general mm-hmm. concept. When we first started we were literally importing them i'm talking you know five years ago i imported 10 pre-built pre-designed products from china and then started selling them on gumtree so that's where we started from then we've got uk designers and engineers on board and we've worked with the chinese third-party manufacturers to build them for us and we're now actually transitioning into a phase where we're manufacturing everything in the uk so as part of that we've made some really really cool design changes and features and they are all protected with patents, design marks, and obviously we have to trademark. But I think a good point just about that is, I think a lot of the time protection comes from the brand you've built and the community you've built. You know, we're, we're building a, a product that not only is like excellent quality, but has fantastic customer support and then a community feel afterwards. So we, we, we run events for people um, that are in the community all year round. That's our unique selling point, And that's something I, you know you can't create without a lot of time and effort. And that's mm. what I see that protects us.
0: Presumably you can run patents for the UK. I mean, help me understand, how do you protect? Is it possible to get a global protection on various parts of the manufacturing process?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, with these new UK designs, we've got some really cool features. I can't go into too much detail about what they are. But with those, we we are seeking global protection for it. I mean, mm. we're seeking protection in the UK, Europe and the US. It's pretty expensive doing just that alone. Um, and then that's sort of our key markets. It's, it's almost not worth getting a patent for a lot of the other countries in the world.
0: And how have you found the difference in, in manufacturing overseas, manufacturing in China compared to manufacturing in the UK? And have your costs had to go up pretty substantially as a result?
1: Yeah, I mean, manufacturing in China always posed challenges, right? So we had to be very accurate with our forecasting um, because it's a sort of a 90 day lead time shipping included container prices have gone up massively Mm -hmm. recently it's also a massive burden on cash flow having to sort of pay for goods 90 days in advance so moving to the uk we kind of alleviate that problem of cash flow we do have an increased cost it's about 20 to 30 percent more expensive Mm -hmm. but we have complete control over the supply chain we can get things just in time it's much easier to monitor the factories and the quality control
0: any elements that you can or will be able to sort of offshore again, or are you kind of happier in your mind to build a business sort of near shore and onshore to try and control that manufacturing part? And actually, sort of second to that, where do you see the value of your business? You touched on sort of community and like after sales, but where does the value of your business sit? Is it in the superior manufacturing capability or somewhere closer to the customer?
1: Um, I think it's both. Now we're moving everything to the UK. Like it's a completely 100% UK supply chain from like the material fabrication to the method extrusions to the, you know the CNC cut steel, um, and then it's being assembled in Coventry. I think the product is certainly a USP, and it's something that we're super proud to be able to sell because it's we know it's going to be the best quality roof tent on the market. But alongside that, I think the biggest value proposition we're giving for our customers is this community feel we already have 300 ambassadors in the country which is people who've bought 10 and have signed up to be an ambassador If they become a location on our website and people who want to view a tent can go and see their local ambassador to sort of demo a tent um and see the product and then meet them and uh we're going to try and continue to build on that basically with this sort of schedule of events Um, we're doing our first big camp out in september and we're, we're expecting 350 cars down there and from that is, is going to grow a natural, organic sort of network of friends and, and people you can hang out with are into similar things. So that's a value for the customer, but also where our key value and, and sort of key marketing, but also just key value for the business really is, mm. is in the people.
0: Well, staying on marketing and branding, I mean, how do you think about your sort of brand position? And are there any brands, you know, not necessarily in your space, but brands that you look to and kind of want to emulate you know you like the look and the feel of the brand
1: yeah definitely i think you could you could maybe bring up uh, patagonia for sure in terms of how they present themselves as a, as a cool fun outdoor brand and their environmental uh, angle on their marketing i think we'd sort of base ourselves on apple in terms of the product by that i mean slightly more expensive but much higher quality um and, and kind of in a way dictating how the product should be used without you know without trying to be too dictatory over it it's it's this is the style this is accessories you should use this is how we think people should do it and you know let people take that
0: because i think a lot of people prefer the decision to be taken away from their choices sometimes and then what i suppose what does your ideal customer look like in your mind's eye do you have a sort of clear picture of who they are
1: i mean people often ask that like who's your key customer like you know what ages are they you know what do they do and it it really is and it's an incredibly diverse mix of people you have families who are interested you have 18 year olds who have got just got their first cars that want to use it you've got people that love four by fours that want to go and take them out people that surf people that kayak people that just love camping road trips you know you name it i guess if you think about who owns a camper van you know maybe you might immediately think a kind of hippie kind of person but realistically it's so many people have them we've had you know 65 year olds buy them it's really product for everyone and especially in the current climate of staycations it it just allows people to have that freedom i mean even if you went to a wedding and you know there was no space at the hotel you can just take your car pop your tent up sleep there for the night and you know we know a lot of customers who've done it people have taken them on honeymoons Uh, Mm -hmm. it's a real diverse mix and that's why that community aspect is so exciting because there is a a real want and, and and a demand for people to go and explore in that way
0: well, that was going to be my next question. I mean, we've had a rather weird 15 months of lockdown and, you know, the ability for people to go on holiday, you know, jetting off around the world has been heavily curtailed. How has your business reacted to the lockdown? Have you seen a significant pull through in orders?
1: Yeah, sales wise, like, I mean, this has been our biggest year, but we've, we've been experiencing sort of 150% growth every year anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, it's definitely helped. Um, We did a bit of market research recently that that sort of suggested that 46% of the population are planning to go on a staycation this year. So there's no doubt that's helped. I mean, Brexit's hindered our sales to the EU, so they've pretty much dropped off. We need to basically get a warehouse set up in the EU now because you can't ship from the UK without crazy fees for the customer. So that part of it's dropped off. What percentage was the EU before? It was 30% before okay um, meaningful and it's, it's, it's definitely meaningful I and mean, we never did any advertising out there either like adwords or anything like that it's all sort of social media based so that was cool but yeah like i say that's dropped off but we're still growing it's, it's difficult we were always growing we always were going to there's no doubt this has helped and there's no doubt it's changed people's
0: mindsets and it's going to continue to have an impact for a few years turning to financing and i know um up until this point you have been self-financed you know using internal cash to grow, Is there a point or can you see a point in the future where you'd look to go to um, maybe friends or family, first step, angel investors or, or venture capitalists to fund your next stage of growth? Then second question, how would you allocate those funds if you were able to access them?
1: Yeah, it's difficult. Like, as you say, we have just bootstrapped it the whole way. There's been points in time where, you know, cash flow has become a bit of an issue because we're having to order so many containers and for sales that aren't going to happen for another three, four months. But we've kind of ridden that wave and we're we're out the other side. Obviously, every year as the demand grows and we need to buy more stock, that becomes more of an issue. Hopefully, the UK manufacturing will, will solve most of that by bringing the cash flow forward by 90 days. But certainly, you know, I'm at the stage now, we've only got eight employees and progressing to the next stage we want to really expand heavily into europe heavily into the us and that involves a lot of manpower working with the right subcontractors and really setting up processes and systems that will work internationally and there is going to be you know there's a lot of cost involved in that and i think what investment would help with would be to accelerate that and sort of do what we would maybe otherwise not do for a couple of years but part of me is still thinking, you know, we've got this. And, and we, you know, if we do need any cash, then there'll be other ways to
0: finance it. So let's say, Oliver, let's pretend that someone did want to invest and, and you received, um, let's say, half a million pounds. How would you want to allocate those funds? And what do you think would be your sort of high priority to get right? You sort of touched on working capital, which has been a bit of a drain. Where do you think you would get the most value by spending that cash? it's difficult i think what
1: we might do is try and skip out some of the outsourcing agents we use so one of our biggest challenges has always been logistics because they're such massive products and where we've been fairly small it's hard to get accounts of any, you know the, the few people that can do them you that size product in combination with our sm- much smaller goods and accessories so i think i probably go straight away and just set up a warehouse that wouldn't just take up a, off a lot of the headache if we can just completely manage it internally um, that's the sort of thing which is such a big investment that we kind of stick with using third party logistics providers. Likewise, we use a PR agency and we sort of use some di- digital marketing agencies. I'd love to bring that in-house to have a really clear strategy that we can work on together internally. Do you
0: find you lose control of that brand message and you know your ability to communicate with your customers if you're outsourcing that function?
1: I think that it could be much, much more um, concise and, and I can't think of the word cohesive. If we did it internally, I don't think we lose that. But I think what we we do lose the power to really get it exactly how we want it. Because you work with different designers, they come up with different takes on it all. And it's all being mashed together. Whereas if you had someone who was internal, seeing the day to day, understanding the vibe of the company, like how we are in the office, the culture and speaking to our customers, helping them install them. They, I think that would give us a lot more of a appropriate sort of marketing message as opposed to these guys who, you know, working for several different people all at once and, and and don't
0: really fully understand the brand. I think that's what we miss. That's an interesting distinction. And looking to the future, Oliver, you know, what do you want your business to look like in, in five years time? And perhaps maybe you can answer by explaining what your website might look like in, in five years time, because when I go onto it and it's great, it looks the product looks great, and you've got three you know very cool designs. but can you see yourself sort of adding to that product range and if so, you may not be able to give me too much information, but what will it look like? yeah, I mean, a lot of people comment how good our website is, but in my
1: head it's like I've been wanting to change it for this entire year it's only sort of eighteen months old that site but I would like so we've done about three thousand units a year well we' do three thousand units this year and that's predominantly uk i'd like to be in a position where we are well-known in Europe, well-known in the U.S., and, and have got the logistics and distribution set up perfectly. Everything's been manufactured in the U.K., really high volumes, really efficient manufacturing, great products, and we're then exporting them across throughout to Europe and, and to the U.S.A., straight into a great logistics network, mainly direct-to-consumer with a few dealers, loads of ambassadors. And, and, and I touched earlier, I mentioned quite a lot about the community. We want to do a lot more with that and, and you know maybe bring it into an app so that people come on the website, they can download the app, see what's going on in the community, have a bit of augmented reality going on um, where they can use their phone to see what the templates look like on their car. They can purchase there and then immediately be part of the community and that app will turn into more of a social media type thing. Imagine like Strava, people sharing trips, inviting people on trips, that kind of thing. And the website itself, I want to have a lot more information about how it's manufactured and how we do it, more about the team, really bring it to life, a lot more videos and stuff for the community. And I think the biggest challenge we've had from day one is teaching people and changing consumers sort of thought on putting a massive box on your car and how it is safe and how you can do it on any car and how you can put roof bars on any car. So I think, you know, we've solved that a lot by getting them out there and people talking about it. But I'd love people to come on the website and instantly understand that their car will work. But there's quite a lot of data and uh, stuff we'll need to, to make that really work, but You know, you imagine you put your number plate in, your car pops up, you can see what your car looks like with a tent box and it tells you it's all fine and explains it all. That's what we're trying to achieve. And that's so difficult to
0: do. Well, I think you do pretty well, Oliver, looking at your um, website at tentbox.com. You know, I think you can see a, um, I think that is, what is that? A Vauxhall Astra, It's quite a small car fits a tent box pretty easily on it. In terms of product range, can you see yourself sort of active in the product development space? Or do you think your focus is is more, as you say, on network? Product development is also an absolutely key part. We've
1: got a roadmap. There's a few different options in the pipeline. And a 4 man one being one of them, we potentially look to do a solo one. And ultimately, it might be quite cool to come up with a very, very basic, but even more affordable option for people. It's quite hard to do that while still maintaining that kind of ease of use and, you know, the inbuilt mattress, the gas struts that open. But they're the sort of different things in the pipeline. And we definitely want to expand on the accessory range. and give people not just the sort of means to camp, but also all the accessories that go with it.
0: Oliver, final question. What advice would you give to budding entrepreneurs who are maybe just starting out or maybe are in a job and sort of slightly fed up with their job and have more sort of an idea? What advice would you give to them in terms of starting up a business from scratch as you've done? I think honestly,
1: just go for it. Like I started with this one, just selling it on Gumtree. You know, you don't need loads of money these days to at least test an idea. Obviously, first of all, think of an idea, but then to test it, you you know, you don't need loads of cash. You can get it out there. It's cheap to make a website. And if the idea, if you can see the idea is working, then, you know, just go with it. You can do the starting stages while still at a job. It's really about just giving it a go and seeing if the market takes it and then going on from there. You know, like I say, we started with just 10 units that we imported and we're now doing 50 containers a year. And I would never have got to this stage had I not just given it a go and tested it.
0: Sage advice, go for it. Thank you for joining me. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. Thank you for listening to the Wineverse podcast with me, Doug Barnett, Portfolio Manager at Waverton and our guest this week, Oliver Sherville. If you've enjoyed this episode or indeed the series, why not like it, subscribe to it, let your friends and colleagues know. The information provided during this podcast does not constitute investment advice and should not be relied on as such. It should not be considered a solicitation to buy or an offer to sell a security.